Hi guys, welcome back to My Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Today is another fantastic day, good day for an interview. I've got Amy Beth Weeks with me, a woman who is wild at heart and who loves to, lie, to live her life in uh, to a degree in a rebellious fast lane. And what works better with that than an addiction? And of course, <laughs> we want to have the uppers and the downers, mix them just right. Bit of cocaine, bit of alcohol, see how it goes, manipulating our day to, to make sure that we can really burn the candle on both ends. Yay. Um, yep. Yes, that's right. And once yep. I've just introduced you, I could have introduced myself minus the cocaine. <laughs> I used other, other, you know, for me, the alcohol was the cocaine. It gave me the bang. Mm -hmm. So, Amy Beth, thank you so much for coming onto my show and talking honestly about the past, about your transformation, and about your mission now to spread the word. Uh, and that's, that's, such a beautiful thing. I'm honored to have you on my show. Well, I am appreciative and grateful. This is this is such an amazing thing to me. I love connecting with new people. And I'm just really excited to share and connect. <laughs> because it's so different, isn't it? When we are using and and living our our life then it was a life of hiding. You were yes. you were hiding that you were thinking about the alcohol, you were hiding that you were buying the alcohol, you were hiding the alcohol, then you were hiding that you were drinking it, then you were hiding that you were drunk, and then you were hiding that you were hungover. And in between there's something missing, but typically you were comatose. So it was a busy, busy life for me. I was hiding all the time. And here we are, suddenly, uh, you're on a YouTube channel who maybe, well, hopefully soon, thousands of people subscribe down there subscribe preliminary messages to the, the subconscious okay um the the reality is we were hiding we were hiding so much uh and it is it is oh, when i look back and compared it with now my god my god was it the same with you where you were a hider yes i i very much had a a dual life is what I like to call it. And I, I've, I've seen a lot of different stories with that. And it's, I think it's everywhere with alcoholism and addiction, but I was a, a co-founder business owner with my best friend. And I also had my private life and I would find myself saying to people that I would party with, like, don't tell them they don't know. Don't tell them they don't know this about me. They don't know that I am going to the bathroom 15 times a night to put cocaine up my nose. They don't know that I'm staying up until the hours of five, six, seven in the morning, sometimes 11, and then getting up, not sleeping for 48 hours and going and doing my work. So secret, yes, absolutely. hundred <laughs> percent. And we call ourselves high functioning then. And isn't it the high functioning alcoholics? defined as someone who can sort of still have his life together. Um, and we live in this beautiful bliss that we believe no one knows about. <laughs> no one sees that. <laughs> it's so funny. So I was just thinking to myself, I'm like, you think that nobody knows and you think that you have all this stuff together and you think that you're high functioning, but like, are you really? <laughs> exactly. exactly. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> 
are you sure? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't call myself functioning. I was holding it together. I think that's fair. But also you don't know how you come across. I remember many, many, many years, decades ago, uh, I was uh, working as a night nurse. So as a junior doctor or as a, as a, a student, medical student, you could work in a hospital as a nurse. Mm-hmm. So I did that and there I was responsible for a whole night and looked after the, the patients did. Towards early morning or late, just about an, half an hour, an hour or so before the handover, so tired oh my god and my best friend he had dated a pharmacist so the pharmacist gave him and me here these tablets they're really good they keep you awake they are just you know if you really really struggle that's really really good so i thought hey this is okay uh thank you very much it's a pharmacist after all who has has given us that and then six o'clock handover came and stefan handed over it was really, really good tonight. The night was fantastic. We did this, we did this, we did this, we did this, we did this. Nurses were sort of going back, what the hell? And it was a form of speed she had given me, an amphetamine. And I was, I was, bang, 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 bang. <laughs> you tell me, you can't see that this is not me. <laughs> Yet here we were. We were sort of believing that, and that was that was an actually an honest mistake. I thought this is this is something like like. Uh, uh, like, oh, you can get over-the-counter uh, caffeine things that wake you up. And I thought that's what he had given us. Oh, no, no, that was, <laughs> no. That was caffeine, not steroids. Um, but I'm, I'm trying to say, the nurses knew damn well that I was not a, my usual person. And that's the same when we drink. And that's the same when we use. So there's no way that you alter your state of mind and other people don't see it, isn't it? There's... Yeah, I agree. And it's funny now because I, living that life, I can see it from a mile away. I'm like, first of all, your eyes are like dilated, right? And I'm like, people walk by at like this, it's a sober living house and there's people that know each other, they visit, blah, blah, blah. And I was talking to one guy and I was like, he's high. He was like, how do you know? I was like, I just know. I'm like, you should know as well. Like, hello. <laughs> how did you miss that? Like, are you paying attention? So, yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy to think about all the like situations and the circumstances that I was in and the, you know, the work environment environment that I was in. And I'm like, how did they, how did I think that they didn't know? But also like, how come nobody was like, what are you doing? <laughs> what are you okay what's wrong with you how come nobody you know and it's such a weird line I feel like for people they're like I don't know she seems kind of off but she's kind of weird anyway so maybe I'm just not going to say anything but now I'm like I you know people don't have that rigorous honesty or that conviction to be like hey are you okay mm. not always so well 95% of, of alcoholics don't believe that they have a problem so there's of course that fact. That's what alcoholics do. That's what the alcohol does to us, our addiction. That's our behavior, Mm -hmm. full stop. The problem is with so-called friends. We, of course, surround ourselves with people who are at least using or drinking as much because we know deep inside that actually um, it's probably a bit over the top. Yeah, fifty thousand dollars for snacks uh, per year. Ooh, that's a lot of snacks, kind of a thing. <laughs> so, okay, you know, um, 
it is so we surround ourselves so that we don't look so bad. Mm-hmm. And so there's that self-selection. So maybe the people around you were just as bad as you, number one. Number two is all humans try to avoid pain and seek pleasure. That's why we're so using. True. So there is that. Now, the same applies to sober people out there or people who have never used, let's put it like that, who don't have the insight. They shy away from the hard decisions. They don't mm-hmm. want to do the hard calls. They rather keep them up shut because they avoid confrontation. So you've got all that. So bottom line is you're a bit in a lose-lose as an alcoholic because no one wants to touch you. Um, you're probably not the nicest person when you're not using because you're hungover and, and you're shitty and erratic. So mm-hmm. that doesn't help. So you're not really open to, to anything like that. So, you know, it's, it's the perfect Just hit all those points over there. That's right. That's right. Tick, 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 tick. I was certainly there, a bear with a headache when I didn't use. And then finally the release, the me floating away on this wave of alcohol from floating away from the pain somehow thinking it's no longer there. Well, it's really, I tried to drown the, uh, drown the sorrows and guess what? They can swim. <laughs> they swim better than I do. <laughs> so that's, that's the problem, true. isn't it? So yeah. how, when did you start as a, as a young woman? When was the first drink you've had that you remember? Whoa, that's good. Oh, first drink that I remember. Um, this is a hard question because it intertwines into my childhood trauma like family hereditary alcoholism um so I actually grew up watching my father be an alcoholic um so I was very much in could like trying to be in control and self-aware with my usage as a child because I was also diagnosed with ADHD at five and then I was diagnosed with some other stuff along the way which so my first drink well, it was still pretty young. I would say probably around the age of 10. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really wasn't progressive, if you will, until the end of 2018 going into 2019. So it was really recent uh-huh. that I I got into that life and those, those triggers and uh, that state That's of disease. Very interesting to hear that because obviously you have seen the negative sides of, of being the daughter of an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And therefore, normally, people sort of either shy away or hopefully if the alcoholic actually then turned his life around, the same children who have got a genetic predisposition now see how daddy got his shit together and the techniques that he's using. Was that what was happening in you or did your father continue to drink? Um, so a couple of years ago, we did a, a live broadcast on Facebook together, and he had told me during the broadcast that he was one day sober. And we talked a lot about our, our past history and stuff like that. And so then we went like and did a 40 day sobriety thing together. Um, and I was doing it as a support system, as like being a support system to him. I was like, I will do this with you. And then I started seeing somebody who was a walking, talking version Walking, talk, walking, talking, 28-year-old version of my father. Good guy. Just, you know, like the rest of us, we have some, some uh, stuff, right? Uh, so that's what started that. And then 
my dad is actually one month or two months ahead of me right now in his sobriety. So we're doing Excellent. it. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Very cool. <laughs> Congratulations, dad, out there. Yes. If you listen to that, you should, of course. Uh, yes, the man. A man, you're my hero. Because <laughs> it takes a lot. I mean, he would be a, you know, a little bit older than you. And so he is, for how long has he been drinking? As long as you remember, basically, at least. Exactly. It, a long time. I would say childhood. There's also like some trauma up in there as well as most people nice. have. So it's as long as I can remember. Yes. <laughs> Shit. Now that's serious stuff there. And for him now to turn his life around. Wow. And that is the most beautiful journey. So how many months are you guys now? Where are you? At... Um, today is actually my nine month anniversary. Congratulations. Know. Thank you. Fantastic. Uh, and that makes him 10 months. Excellent. Yep. He, January. Yeah. 10 months. What a life. <laughs> what a life. And uh, I give you a sneak preview. The way you feel right now is nothing compared with how you will feel in a year's time or in two years time because that journey will continue and you will expand and that ball of energy in you will become stronger and more powerful and it wants to come out and it comes out in in creative ways your your photography will go nuts uh and but it takes a little while to actually sneak back in for the ace the first 18 months or 12 to 18 months i was an empty shell and mm. I was, uh, I had been trying to drown my sorries probably for about 10 years where I was really uh, drinking too much on and off. And especially at the end, far too much. And yeah, it was, I had trouble finding myself, but I did. Hell, I did. And that journey is just keep going. It's like a, yeah. like a rocket you can't stop until really the, the, the fuel has burned out. And it, oh God, the amount of fuel I've got left in me is so fantastic. <laughs> I want to see your pictures in a year's time. Uh, it would be cool to, to compare them now and then. Shit, this will be. The, there is a follow-up that we need to do in a year's time. I want to hear Amy Beth, the new and improved version. <laughs> I am all for it. Yes, exactly. 100%. <laughs> oh goodness so here you are here you were the daughter of an alcoholic the perfect silent daughter who didn't know what was happening so there was a lot of things happening in, in that journey alone many of my guests have spoken about that who were the who were suffering for the lack of a better word never knowing how the home would be you defended yourself against the urge. And then what happened? How did you start drinking? How did the cocaine come in? What did it give you? So I, a couple of years ago, I started going through the divorce process, which really opened me up to being really vulnerable, not knowing who I was, not having direction. And so I made friends in my work environment, which was like at restaurants and, you know, stuff like that. And I kind of just was trying to break out of the shell of who I was because I, I felt I was a stay at home mom and I had my first son by the time I was 21. So I didn't have like the, the normal early 
20s that most people get to experience. I've been adulting for most of my adult life as a parent. Um, so when that process started to happen, I slowly kind of incorporated myself in going out. I was a bartender. I didn't drink a whole lot. I was still responsible in that sense. And then as time went on, when I didn't have my, my kids, I would find myself trying to go out and get social. I didn't know how to be social and I, and I didn't accept myself. And so I was trying to find that, that self-acceptance outside of me and like, um, consider it a social experiment. Like in which ways are people interacting with me? How are they interacting with me? When are they talking to me? When are they accepting me? When are they not accepting me? This has been like an ongoing thing my whole life. So of course, at the age of 25, it's still going to be there. Cause that's like the foundation I built myself on. So <laughs> moving forward through the last couple of years, um, when I started dating my ex at the time, I was watching him party and him ingest certain things. And I realized that, A, this is what I thought to myself. I'm one of the most healthy people around. So I'm going to fit. Yeah, right. That fixing thing happens. I want to be here for him. But the only way I can spend time with him is if I am doing what he's doing. And I actually started slowly being like, okay, like, yeah, let's do this. Like, yeah, okay, I'll indulge a little bit. And then I had so much fun. It was so much fun at first. I was like, oh my gosh, these people are talking to me. They open up. There's like this in-depth of people that comes out when they're doing that, but it's in such a negative space, but you don't realize it because you're connecting on such a deep level. And that is like, for me, connecting with somebody in that space is like, that's my jam. Like, let's get down to like the raw nitty gritty stuff. Cause that's like where I thrive. I love talking about that. So I found that when people were doing mass amounts of cocaine, they were like, yeah, let's talk. I'm going to tell you all the things that I wouldn't have nor like I wouldn't normally tell you. So it became a thing for me. And I was addicted to that rush of having that interconnectedness with other people. And I actually found that my ex was more willing to open up to me at two or three in the morning and we'd sit for talk for three hours. And that's not something that would normally happen during the day or when he wasn't doing those things. So I found a way to connect with him, but it was just an extremely unhealthy thing. And then it progressed into much more. It, it was like that red tape over the light switch that you, you don't think is ever going to get peeled off. And all of a sudden you're like living in it. The light switch is, flipped and you're like oh crap I'm actually addicted to this feeling and living this life and I'm buying cocaine at three in the afternoon before I go to work and I'm only giving out this much of it and I'm going to keep the rest of it for me and so I'm like here you go I, I got some for you but um yeah I'm not going to tell you about what I have over here in my left hand so that's kind of what it turned into for me, and which is a huge problem. So that was, it's like. Out of interest, how much does cocaine cost um, or did cost a year ago? How much was it? How much did you spend? I was spending usually around $100 for like a gram and a half. Which, how, and how much would you use? 
I've never used cocaine, so I don't get, I haven't got a feeling uh, as to how much you use in a go. Well, a gram and a half between a lot of people doesn't go very far, especially if there's like 10 people. You can go through that in a night very easily, a half a night. If I'm holding on to it myself, depending on the night that I'm having, it can last me a week, which really is not that long, but I would probably go through it in a couple of days. If not an entire night, depending on how many people were out, if I was uncomfortable, if I was trying to get out of my shell, I would do more. <laughs> of course, of course. It's, <laughs> it's that beautiful self-medication that, that we are doing there mm -hmm. um, all to our state. So I'm just doing the maps. So let's give you the benefit of the doubt. Let's make that at the end of your addiction, let's make it two nights that it lasted you. So that's $100 in two nights times 15, uh, it's $1,500 uh, US dollars uh, a month, um, times 12, uh, 18, uh, so that's 18,000 US uh, just for, for snacks. Um, that's cool, okay. And then we haven't talked about alcohol yet. So, I mean, I was drinking a bottle of vodka uh, at, at discount price that's about thirty dollars um i had that a day so make that add that all up so you're talking with you and then making wrong decisions when you're pissed etc add that in that's probably about fifty thousand dollars a year fifty thousand us that that the addiction cost you towards the the last end of the of your of your using uh that's a conservative figure actually um so when you actually look at it from that angle, you think, oh my God. It's uh, crazy. Isn't it? Mm -hmm. But we don't see it that way because as addicts, we're looking at the here and now. And it is just that matters. That matters. Tomorrow, ah, tomorrow is tomorrow. In an hour, uh, that's, 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 we don't want to know. And that's the weird thing. So, it, was, it was so easy, actually. I didn't always have to to buy it myself it was everywhere that i was and so if i didn't have it somebody else had it and i also you know i often my my friend group in this setting was very large and so like if it wasn't this person it was that person and it was just it was they're like hey do you want to and i'm like yeah for sure and i i would sometimes get people that would walk up to me shove stuff in my pocket and i was like what are you doing and i take it out and be like oh thanks and they would just give me things and that was all the time and it wasn't just cocaine it was like i was like people would give me um Adderall and i actually didn't like i don't like pills i don't like Adderall um, as being prescribed to it as a five-year-old, it was one thing that I learned to loathe is taking any kind of pills. So if it was powder, I was more willing to like, be like, okay, the pill form. Uh, no, thank you. <laughs> really weird. Really weird. Isn't it, but. isn't it amazing how our brain, how our brain sort of weaves itself through this addiction. It's mm -hmm. just oh, nuts. And that's interesting. Um, may I say, you are a very beautiful woman. You are 
a woman who is outgoing even now. And certainly once you were under the influence, you would have been a bouncy ball of energy, which makes <laughs> you extremely attractive to anyone. And that's the reason that, that boys talk to you. Uh, it is, you're still the same beauty, but yeah, it's that energy that we all so, so seek. Mm -hmm. You, if, if, let's put it like that, you're working in a high-risk environment, you're essentially incapacitated. Um, you, there is 1% of the population are psychopaths and sociopaths. 10% of the population are personality disorders. Where there, where there are some near misses um, as far as people trying to take advantage of you. Um, I don't have any sp specific situations in mind, but when I was in that environment, I like to come across very hard edged. I used to walk around with a boot knife and pocket knife, and I've got these, these, uh, I'm going to call them shit kickers. They, you know, these boots. And so I was like, as masculine as I could present myself in female form but it was supposed to ward people off for me but actually it attracted those who wanted the challenge and that was fun for me in a certain way because I'm like I know that actually I got myself no matter what happens which is kind of a really weird mentality because I am still female and susceptible to different possibility of things happening right but I was like I know that I got myself no matter what but they liked they liked the mental challenge and it was really fun for me because I'm not like I don't jive with the surface level like give me something fun and so it was a game for me and I it came across in my persona and I knew it and I would show up that way <laughs> and that's interesting isn't it because that's that's also the, what the alcohol allows us to do it allows mm -hmm. us to take on a different persona uh, mm -hmm. anti-cocaine and a mixture of whatever you're using um isn't it amazing because there are there are different dr Jekyll and mr hyde living in us and I, I never found i haven't found yet a good female example of dr Jekyll and mr hyde so we, we stick with the male with the male uh, picture <laughs> but it is it is just that we, the yin and yang in us so mm -hmm. yes i can see you as a kick-ass girl oh i very much can <laughs> that's right and and it is, it's that persona. So I understand it 100%. And for you guys out there, if, if, if you are listening in, maybe because you're a relative of, of someone who is, is caught up in addiction and you want to learn more, um, it is what it is, guys. The, what, what you're hearing there is, is two addicts actually talking really honestly about <laughs> us being unable to live out our dreams so unless we're using and then suddenly we can dress up and and we just have we both have moved on a bit from fairy princesses i look never okay. so nice in a tutu but that's another story <laughs> <laughs> now, um the the reality is that is nowadays i can go to the equivalent of comic-con done up nowadays i do photo shoots myself as a as as uh, the most recent one that I did was Kintsugi um, for the for the cover of my book. Um, so my book, My Steps to Sobriety. What you see there is the the principle of uh, Kintsugi, 
So in Japan, uh, if something is broken, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's bad. So there's an art of using broken uh, things and gluing them together with gold, with gold mm. paint and gold glue and make something new out of it. So, and I love that so much because we are broken people. Yes, we can fix ourselves, etc. So I did this photo shoot, four hours of makeup uh, that turned me kintsugi basically. And it was, so I do that nowadays. So I have got now the balls to actually do that. Rest assured, when I was an alcoholic, I would have never, ever, ever done that because my 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 mind then was so weak mm. compared with now in sobriety sobriety has changed me hugely and mm -hmm. into definitely a very very cool dude without now blowing too much of my trumpet but i like myself <laughs> i love myself and that yeah. self-love that was zero existence when i was using mm -hmm. i was I was a wreck. I hated myself. How was that developing with you? I mean, it's all quite nice whilst you're on the cocaine and whilst you're, hey, yeah, it's cool. But then you would have had far too many tequila, far too many, whatever, whatever your poison was. And then the next morning, stupidly not so pretty. How did you like yourself then? Uh, well, I never drank tequila too much. It was not my thing. Polish is Polish brandy was my thing. Uh oh. And, yeah, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, just wanted to throw that out there. Um, yeah, exactly, just you get <laughs> just you know. Anyway, um, sense of self. I don't think that I've ever liked myself, and I think I never liked myself as a child. And it's just something that I covered up in myself. So that like that um, that attic has been in me my whole life my whole life and I can see it now looking back I'm like oh that's what that was <laughs> you know I can see it so I never really liked myself I never thought that I was good enough and being diagnosed so early with ADHD and, and seeing the, the difficulties my father had even that young I feel like I was very observant, I guess, is maybe the right way. So I, I had this complex that I had to show up in a different way to be liked. I couldn't be who I was because I have to take these things and it makes me feel different than who I am. So I must then, in fact, actually have to be somebody else. So I actually found myself dressing up as time went on through my childhood in different ways. I noticed that if I dressed in all black and I wore my hood, nobody would talk to me. So if I needed a day for nobody to talk to me, you bet I would dress in a way that was not welcoming. And then I, I would be like, I'm going to get dressed up. I'm going to be girly. And everybody would talk to me and everybody would say hi to me. And so it was like, like I said earlier, an ongoing social experiment for myself to see what side of me people liked. And so did I ever really like myself? No. Did I come across as this as confident in some ways, yes. People are like, but you're so confident. And I'm like, why? Wow, I don't understand why you say that. Being forward can be taken as confident, even if you don't like yourself, I found in my, in my own personal experience. So while I was using, it was fun during being out. But when I went to go to sleep at whatever time that was at, I hated myself so much. I hated like, like just 
desperately wanted to not be who I was. I just wanted to be better. I wanted to just be somebody else, you know? And so that, that eerie feeling at seven in the morning, eight in the morning, nine in the morning, when the person next to you is passed out, doesn't have an idea as to what is going on with you. And quite frankly, doesn't probably care too much. And you're sitting there thinking, should I get up and try to force myself to puke because I've done so much and I'm afraid that if I fall asleep, I'm not going to wake up. What am I supposed to be doing today? What are, like, what if my kids saw me this way? I, I did not like myself. Not at all. <laughs> that again, we are in the grip of such a powerful force that I don't know how many bottles I've poured away in the morning and stuff that, you know, sometimes, sometimes... The, the one bottle of vodka was not enough. So you open the second bottle. And then when you finally wake up again the next day, there's three quarters of a, of a second bottle left. How many of them have I poured away with the conviction? Today's the day. Today I stop. That's it. I feel so shit. Enough is enough. I can't even remember what I did last night. Now, down the drink you go. <laughs> Empty. See, I've done it. And yeah. That and and maybe my hangover was so bad that day that I really didn't drink that night because I was still sick like a dog in the evening. So therefore, then okay, next day came around. I felt okay-ish, human-ish again, and then you know by lunchtime, oh, we should celebrate. We should. Oh no, today's a bad day. Oh God, you have really deserved that. Come on, have a drink, and there you go. So please, been there, done that. Honestly, it is. And just describing it again, I'm sort of, my mind is drifting back and is, is reliving some of these moments. And my whole body is changing as I'm sitting here. My whole, there's a pain growing in me. Mm -hmm. And now thinking about those moments, I feel muscles going tight that I don't want to go tight because I was, I was having a really good time talking to you. But isn't it amazing, just the, the sheer thought transplants me back into that shithole of a life that I had created for myself. Yes. Um, it's, I, I try to explain it because a lot of people around me haven't experienced what I've experienced and not that I would ever want them to, but I'm like, I can, it's like a physiological thing. You like, I can feel it in my body. My hands start to perspire. My body tenses up and it's almost like, it's seven in the morning and I'm laying in bed like I was a year ago, like afraid of myself. And it, 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 it gets brought on by certain circumstances or things. And if I let it linger too long, all of a sudden I'm reliving it. And it's really difficult to even describe to somebody that doesn't understand like that addiction trauma is there. And it, does it lessen over time? I don't know. I'm only nine months in and I say only it's, I mean, that's a long time. So I'm going to give myself some credit, but Please. I think we have, and I don't really know, but like your, your body remembers things even when your mind doesn't want to. Right. And so your body is like, Nope, that's real. <laughs> that was real. This is how you felt. Um, and I actually just recently experienced that. Um, last week I, it, there was a situation that had happened and I, was out with a bunch of my friends for the first time and since I've gone out 
um, the last time I went out and I had been awake until five in the morning and I'm looking, I'm watching the clock as the situation is happening and it's three 30 and then it's four 30 and then it's five. And I'm like, my, my heart's beating out of my chest. And I was like, nobody actually asked if I was okay. And it was this whole thing. And my friend was like, I'm so sorry. I'm like, it's okay. It's, a bit of self-projection onto you on my part that I'm so selfish as you have this going on, but I'm sitting here thinking nobody even asked me if I'm okay and I'm the alcoholic and I'm the addict. And I was, I was, yeah, it's a real thing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting because I have actually not gone back into that life. For me, I, I haven't slept for a long, long, long time. And then in, in rehab, I was introduced to sleep again and I was given medications that, that helped me to have a better night's sleep and not wake up with all the guilt and shame at three o'clock in the morning. And I became so fiercely protective. So nowadays, the epitome of torture for me would be to have to go to a nightclub and just stand there and maybe dance, but the music is shit. So uh, nowadays, <laughs> certainly in, in nightclubs that are around here, and uh, to to see people who inevitably are using uh, either alcohol or whatsoever, making fools out of themselves, and you think this is such a waste of my time. And tomorrow I'm going to be tired. What mm-hmm. the fuck? What mm-hmm. I would, I'd... I would. This is torture for me. So it's interesting that you went out. I... <laughs> It was, it needed to happen. It was the first thing I said to myself when I laid down on the couch was, thank you. I needed, I needed this apparently. Like I didn't want that feeling to come back, but apparently I needed it. Um, I, I was okay. I was enjoying myself. We played darts and everybody has been really supportive and I've been so open about my sobriety that people get me soda. They offer to get me water. They, they're very loving. And so I didn't feel overwhelmed by anybody drinking or anything like that but it was a situation that had occurred with everybody being intoxicated that came out and then kept everybody awake until the wee hours isn't that and that's the exactly that was the time frame that i was like i could have actually gone without this (laughs) this is what's actually triggering me because it brought back that internal chaos Mm. of previous situations of being out and experiencing that that intoxicated drama that lasts and everybody's so inebriated that they don't have like a sense of like anything except for their own self the the ego (laughs) the ego is what i'm trying to get at you know so true so Um, true and that was what you were yearning in the past and i remember those discussions i had some fantastic discussions it's it's weird because i probably couldn't remember the, the next day that i had these discussions but now i get sort of Ah, waves, nebulous memories coming back of very deep things I said. Uh, at least they sounded to me like at the time, three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> they sounded deep to me. Right. <laughs> Sounds just, good. Uh, exactly. It's just uh, we have got a beautiful brain. That is the neuroplasticity. Our our the way we 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 mold our beliefs and mold our conscious construct is just amazing 
So it is, I probably sounded like a drunk orangutan. Um, it, and it's just, yeah, the, the reality that uh, what you get in your mind and the, the kind of, yeah, the way you think you look and the way you look. Mm. <laughs> yeah, oh dear. And then, then something changed. Then something you actually, uh, something, what what was the, the thing you alluded already to me that that your father uh was uh was ready to mm. move and you were ready to support him tell us a bit about that because here you were living that rebel that coming out of yourself that dressing up and and therefore putting a different mask on which suited you well whilst you were wearing that mask what suddenly changed that you did not want to wear that mask anymore. The, so in January, I had gone out on New Year's and I told myself, I don't want to live this way anymore. I cannot possibly live this way anymore. Mm. And so I let myself go out. It inevitably was a bit of a shit show for other people. And I sat back and I watched and I kind of indulged a little bit, but not as much as I had done previously. Mm. And then I went um, about 30 days, I think, without drinking, doing cocaine. I was sober for 30 days or so. Withdrawal? Did you have a withdrawal at that time? Um, I had a urge. <laughs> <laughs> the urge was very much there, more so for the cocaine. And with the cocaine comes doing lots of, for me, it was shots. I didn't like to sit and drink a beer. I wanted to, I wanted to do it quick. <laughs> right. So people could never really see how much I was actually drinking. They're like, you didn't really drink that much. And I'm like, that's how good of a drinker I am. You don't know how much I'm drinking. <laughs> Amy Beth, it's called tolerance. Okay. It's a tolerance <laughs> that you're building up. <laughs> and that means that's true, when, another, yeah. when another person has got two drinks and is half under the table, you're saying, okay, that was practice. Yeah. That was a teaser. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> Let that's me so show true. you. <laughs> yes. That was very much me with, with shots, especially. But um, so my last night out, I was going through the breakup. I was moving out. I was moving into my best friend's house, who was also my business partner. And I went out. I told her, I was like, I'm going to go out for a drink. And it was the place that I was working at, but I wasn't working that night. And my regulars were there. And they were like, oh, my gosh, you're never on this side because I'm always behind the bar. Right. And uh, that's not necessarily true. But I don't, I don't go in there just to sit down by myself. Usually I'm, I've got a charade of things going on. Um, and I was like, yeah, and I was hammered, hammered in about two hours, just hammered. And so then my bar friends, my bar friends showed up and, um, there's a bunch of guys and they're like, Hey, you want to come with us? And I was like, I don't know. One of my friends at the bar was like, Amy, do you are you sure you don't want me just to bring you home? And I was like, nah, I'm good, actually. I'm going to go with these guys. They've, they got fun stuff. I'm going to go do fun stuff. I don't really remember a lot. I know that we bar hopped. We were doing drugs. Um, and the next thing I know, I'm at an after party drinking Seagram 7 and Kool-Aid. And I know, I look back now and I'm like, I know that I, I was entering a very unsafe zone in my addiction because I do not drink whiskey and I'm not going to drink 
shitty whiskey with Kool-Aid at five in the morning. What? Seagram salmon and Kool-Aid? That just sounds disgusting. Like, who does that? It doesn't matter. That. It was alcohol. It didn't matter. It is. I was, right. I was so sad. I was like gravely upset that the alcohol was gone. I'm like, what do you mean we drank it all? And I'm like, well, is there like any coke left? And you were like, yeah. And I was like, all right, sweet. Like, and also I had a, a chiropractor appointment at, at like eight or nine and some, something in my head said, I can do this. I can party all night and still go to my chiropractor appointment and live my life and then go, go to work at whatever time I was supposed to be at work at. Um. No. So some, I, I was, I think I was like one of the only girls at this place. And there's a, there's a girl that showed up pounding on the door at like, I honestly don't even know, like seven in the morning. And it turned into this thing. She punched this guy in the face with a coffee pot of sorts, not a glass one. I think, I honestly don't remember. I could just be making this up, but I'm pretty sure it was either her fist or a coffee pot. She punched me in the face next, twice. And so that was shocking. You think that you like, it's almost like you think that you're sober when somebody hits you in the face. You're like, oh, I'm awake now. And then it happened again. And I was like, what the is going on right now? What am I doing in this house? Why, why am I, what am I doing? It turned into this whole fiasco. Um, I ended up getting an Uber to my car and I sat in my car for probably two or three hours and I was crying. I was in shock. I was like still very, very drunk and high <laughs> and um, I ended up having to make a phone call to my friend out in California who has about nine or nine or 10 years of sobriety who's seen me kind of go through some of this process that was not a fun phone call. Um, and then I had to go home to my best friend and business partner who did not know that I had an issue with all of these things. So my dual life was coming to an end. And so I had to go home and I had to face the music and she supported me and she was like, go get in the fucking shower. Cause you reek. <laughs> She's like, we're just going to brush you up real quick. And then I ended up um, visiting my friend out in California. And he was like, have you thought about getting into like a recovery program? And he was the only one that had asked me that. And I was like, why would I do that? Like, <laughs> I, think I, I think I'm good. <laughs> when I got home, I realized I can't have him as my main support system for my sobriety. If I'm actually going to get sober, I do need people because he's – a coach and all this stuff. And he does recovery work out there. I'm like, I don't actually want him to be my foundation. Right. So I was like, yeah, I, I think that I should. So when I got home from California, I blasted myself on social media that I had a problem and that I had been like X amount of days sober. And that was a wake up call. I, the wake up call, unfortunately, wasn't being up until six in the morning after having a girl's night sleeping all day missing my alarm to go pick up my kids an hour and a half away. It was the fact that my, my life forged together and I couldn't, I had to face the music. I was either going to keep going the way that I was going yeah. and say the hell with all this. I'm just going to go live on the streets and get, you know, whatever, or I'm actually going to get my life together. I didn't have a choice. Beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> and that's the most, 
beautiful moment in your life, the most painful moment, when you're so sick and tired of being sick and tired. And that's where, where the magic starts to happen. That's when you take your first step. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm so pleased for you. I'm so pleased for you that that happened. Um, it is, and I know it sounds bizarre in a sort of masochistic way kind of thing. Yes, I like your pain. <laughs> no, it, it is. was so necessary. I know, if, isn't it? I know. If that wouldn't have happened, yeah. where would I be right now? Exactly. And I don't, the, the really great part of having that experience is I don't have to wonder, I don't have to worry about it because I'm in a healthier spot now. Do I have a lot of work? yeah is it never ending yeah but I would I would much rather feel the pain that I feel sober than ever have to relive in that hopeless state of addiction and I it's it's funny to think I'm I'm I I feel like I was a walking, talking contradiction when I got sober, but I was also a walking, talking contradiction when I started using because prior to that, like my whole life, right? Prior to that, I was doing live broadcasts. I was talking about statistics and the disease and the epidemic, and I'm going live with my dad and I'm talking about our family history. And then all of a sudden I'm like, eh, I'm going to take a break and I'm just going to go live this life for a quick sec. I'll be right back. And then I got sober and now here I am. So people were like, Amy, did you really have an issue? Yes. No, yeah, I did some very, I did some months of intensive research. Um, <laughs> yeah, I feel like I'm going to start saying that. Actually, no, I was just intensive research. Yeah. That's right. Exactly. Exactly right. Oh, but it just shows we are such weird human beings uh we we just hate the pain and we we often create that pain for ourselves we and and it's getting worse and worse this 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 social media pressure that you have to be a certain person that you have to be uh, a certain bouncy personality even if you are actually an introvert yep. even if you're actually not that not fulfilling the norms of society, let's put it like that, or your own expectations, which are often enough so much more stringent and so much more harsh. And I, mean, I was setting myself up through most of my life mm -hmm. completely every single day. I created the sense of failing because my to-do lists would be sky high there's no way that any sane person could possibly even do 10 percent of what i created as a to-do list for that day um okay. so therefore by the end of the day i had proven to myself i'm a failure and that was one tiny amount of of uh self-fulfilling prophecy that mm -hmm. i created and like you i never loved myself even when i was um when i was 18 i had um heaps of martial arts, I was a dancer, I had a bloody good figure with hindsight. Did I like myself? Not at all. Not at all. And that was that 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 this bizarre dysmorphic vision. You look at yourself and you think, oh God, you're disgusting. Uh -huh. And other people say, what do you mean? What do you mean? Look at you, there's not an ounce of fat on you. You're trained like like a bloody machine and no 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 look look this or look at my nose or look at 
I've got a pimple. Oh my God, the world stops. I've got a pimple. And it's that kind of focus on the negative that we are so yep. good at. I was a master in that. And yeah. and yeah, I see you. I see you. Mm, yeah. Mm. <laughs> I so it I mean it rings true for me in in a way of like I've actually this is gonna sound weird and I've actually just recently started talking about this, but the physicality of of myself I've never liked. And I've never wanted compliments. I've never wanted wanted that. I never wanted to embrace the feminine side of me because it always brought on all this attention. I'm like, now I can understand that it's because I didn't like myself enough to like just simply embody who I was. And I didn't want other people to be attracted to me. And I didn't want other people to compliment me. And I didn't because I didn't like myself. So I I couldn't understand like this you were like, oh, Amy, you're so beautiful. You're so this, you're so whatever, and you're skinny. And I'm like, why are you telling me that? Like, I don't, like, have you, and it's because my insides were so dark and twisted and just really at war with themselves that anything on the outside of me, I was like, no, gross. What, how do you, like, what are you seeing? You obviously don't see me. You don't see me but I also am not letting you see me because I don't like myself. <laughs> so it's like this double-edged sword, you know? <laughs> I know, but you don't know yourself. You do, you see, I don't let you see me would imply that you actually know who's in there. And I didn't know who's in there. I didn't know that gorgeous person that I see now. And this, this, this person that I can be proud of, that was hidden. That, mm -hmm. that was probably not even in existence seven years ago when I went really, you know, off the rails. Uh, right. No, it is, I have created that now with the skills that I started to learn in rehab and now have, not perfection, that's, I'm far from perfection, but some things I have mastered and I got really good at. So nowadays I can write an urge I can ride a wave of anxiety. I can surf that wave rather than getting drowned by it. So I've learned those skills. And that therefore makes me a little bit stronger. Therefore, it makes me love myself a little bit more about that skill. And then there is something else. And then uh, I write another book and I think, wow, I did just do it. <laughs> or I have a really cool interview like here, I'm talking to you and I'm coming out I will walk from here to uh, work and, and I will have a big bloody smile on my face. <laughs> this was a good morning because I, I, I realized so much about me, but also learned so much about you. So all these little things, we make conscious little choices in our sobriety that turns our lives into this really cool life to have. And mm -hmm. that's what I think what, what people need to see. So guys, sobriety has very little to do with not drinking or using. It has to do with shaping a life that suits you. Letting yourself come to a position in your life where you can be proud of yourself. And finally, finally, start loving yourself. It surrender. sounds corny, it's a surrender, it's true, very much so. It sounds all corny and, and when you first hear those words, you think, 
first of all, there's still the denial that 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 uh -huh. oh, there's nothing wrong with me. And then when you finally admit, okay, there is something wrong with me, then people come up with these big words and and you just think, oh, come on. <laughs> so, but yeah, it is, it's, yeah, Amy Beth is there. So she's the living example, is the living example from, exactly, from, from turning, turning around and suddenly finding new people and creating that new life. So it is, you've, you've just started here, restarted your photography. I mean, how does it feel to be, to be creative and be in control of a, of a, of a shooting uh, and, and of a shoot, shall I say? Um, it feels so good. So good. I, um, you know, my business that I was doing before, it was like photography based and event coordinating. And my, my best friend has been there for me through this, but now we get to be two empowered women empowering one another. Nice. And um, she's, she's helped me a lot with being like, just do it, just do it. And I actually left my full-time job as a DSP, a direct support professional um, to do this. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to start doing this. And I got into lifestyle and branding and I've actually had a lot of success so far, which blows me away it, I wake up and I'm just like this is this is my life <laughs> this is my life right now okay okay he okay that person wants you want you want me to me oh yeah absolutely you know so it's it's really fun it's it's cool because I feel like I can um be that person that I never had for somebody else mm. And that's a really big thing for me. And so my passion is photography, but I also have a platform where I can speak on my truths and show my creative work, but also give gifts along the way. And not just like conversation, but you know, in projects and collaborations, I'm working with different, different budgets. And a lot of it sometimes ends up being a gift, but that in itself, I'm like, I have so much to give and I know I do. And it just keeps it's like, I don't even have words for it. That's how good it is. That's exactly. how good it is. And how cool is that? It is uh, to have an honest smile on your face when you say that, to look into the sparkle in your eyes. It's just, it says a lot. Uh, it says a lot. And that is sobriety. You are just literally living sobriety. And it's awesome. Absolutely awesome. <laughs> oh, goodness. So if people want to know more about you, Amy Beth, where can they find you? on the internet where can they how can they get hold of you because they might they might say oh, wow how did you do that so <laughs> you might you, you know there might be more answers that you can give to people i have instagram and facebook um it's amy beth weeks and that's my user tag what are what you or whatever you call it social handle yeah the hand <laughs> insta handle um on <laughs> instagram <laughs> Oh my goodness. Cool. Cool. Amy Beth Weeks on Instagram and on Facebook. There we okay. go. There you go. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And what kind of photography do you do? 
Um, I don't consider myself a contemporary photographer. I consider myself an adaptable photographer. So I like to do creative shoots, um, but I am right now trying to focus on lifestyle and branding. And I like to do more of the candid essence. And so when I show up to a photo shoot, it's me, my camera and my iPhone. And I inter-switch between my camera and my iPhone. And um, I don't use a lot of props with lighting and stuff like that. I'm like, I want the raw, real stuff. (laughs) Whatever I get, I'll make it work. And, uh, you know, I I feel like that really embodies my life in general, especially now. Perfect. So. Ah, nice. Nice. And that's, of course, that's that's the phase you're going through. Because right now it is so, um, it is all you, raw and honest. And we get a kick out of that. And that's exactly the the kind of portraiture that I like to do. Um, I like to to show people in their beauty, but a beauty that uh, you will not see me doing hours of makeup on a model. I want to see the little wrinkles, the laughter lines around Mm. her face. That is where you look beautiful, girl. Not, Not the kind of I'm fine. Yes, fine. the essence I'm of fine. of their being. Like, let me exactly. just see you. Correct, yes. correct, correct. Uh, that's that's exactly what I love. That's what I do. Uh, so we are we are two souls alike. You know that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the only big problem is we're a little bit far away in order to do a shoot together. But ultimately, this would be a damn good shoot. I, <laughs> maybe one day this bloody COVID is finally finished and we can safely travel again and and. You come out here, and because our light can be magnificent out here, and the, the New Zealand, have, right? Exactly. We have got settings. I mean, Lord of the Rings for crying out loud, you know. Um, let's do a nice, a nice wild shoot out there. <laughs> I want to hold you to it. New Zealand has actually been on my my top list of places that I want to go to. So, if you've got a good taste. That's all. <laughs> no, you're on girl. You're on girl. It's it's out there. It's now I've promised it to you. So Amy Beth will have a fantastic time when she comes out here. I'll assure that. And our camera's gonna be red hot. The, the cameras say, give me a break. No. <laughs> red hot. <laughs> there you <Hey>. go. <laughs> too shit. Too shit. So guys, you have heard it here. If if two numb nuts like us can get our life together. And actually go out there and be open and honest, have a good time, have a ball and not feel guilty and ashamed about it. Hey, you know, I think you guys have got a fair chance. Okay. If we can do it, I guess you can. So no, that's brilliant. Amy Beth, I'm so, so grateful that you came today on my show. It was an absolute gorgeous thing to talk to you. And you put certainly some thoughts in my mind where I need to reflect and as you said, the story never ends. The journey never ends. This path is ongoing until one day I'm dead. And then I'm not sure if it stops there. I don't know. <laughs> so it is, and it is not, a, oh my God, this path continues. No, it is the cool, what's around the corner? What's next? Mm-hmm. What's next? And I'm so grateful that that you have joined me a little bit on that path. Uh, which I find fantastic. And uh, thank you for sharing your insights and thank you for being so open and honest and authentic. That is what this world needs. We need more people like you who demystify mental health and addiction for what it really is. 
it is an affliction, it is a problem that we have got, but hey, it is, it is something that you can manage. It is something where we all can work together and give each other a little helping hand. And suddenly you're actually finding yourself in a, in a beautiful group of people that might be very international as it is now. Hey, yes. <laughs> perfect, perfect. <laughs> I'm all about it. This is what sobriety looks like, making connections with people exactly. because you're not afraid to be who you are. Perfect. So I appreciate being on here and sharing is like my favorite thing. So this is just <laughs> the icing on the cake for my nine months. <laughs> and congratulations again. And please give your dad a big hug. Uh, he's my hero for uh, for turning his life around. Uh, what's and all. You guys out there, look after yourself and make this, this a day to remember, regardless what this day brings. I wish you good luck in the United States with your elections and hope that everything finally settles down and one way or the other, we have got some kind of certainty that at least you can move on uh, in whatever color it will be. But yeah, I hope everything goes well for you and you guys out there, look after yourself. Bye. <laughs>